0: He goes, all right, we got like 2,000 laying chickens. they lay laying eggs. You gotta wake up. We wake up around, uh, I think I woke up around five in the morning. He goes, five in the morning, you go out there, you gotta carry buckets of water to all the chicken pens. I got this new Ford Raptor. and I drove up to Joel Salatin's. I'm here with Frank Ponce. So he asked me what was the question you asked me I
1: I was talking about uh, farming in general at one point in your life when you were out farming a good bit and you were vagabonding it seemed like throughout Virginia and Kentucky and North Carolina I
0: first went after high school I went to Joel Salatin's at 19 I just turned 19 I think when I moved there in April I think it was of yeah when I was 19 and I get there and I wasn't I was just going there because it was an adventure instead of going to college my stepdad was like you can go to college anytime so I go there didn't know what to expect well how'd you meet him at first? so I met him I went my mom and stepdad we lived in a mobile home for my most of my teenage years and for the last half of my teenage years and it was on a little piece of land in Clayton, North Carolina and my family didn't make a lot of money, so they are always trying to like save money. They're like, we can grow our own food, stuff like that. Yeah. So Joel had this book called Pastured Poultry Profits. So my stepdad and mom read it. They go, we're going up to Virginia, driving up there from Raleigh, North Carolina. You wanna go? Okay. I went up there and I don't remember much about it, except that Joel Salatin, my stepdad is this huge guy. He's like six foot seven, 280 pounds. He's yeah. not afraid of anybody, but <laughs> My, we drove up there in our van and went on the, like, pasture where Joel doesn't like anybody to destroy his grass. Yeah. And Joel came flying out of the house like he was going to beat up my stepdad. And it's like, get off the grass. <laughs> and my stepdad, like I said, is not afraid of anybody. But he was like, that guy was kind of intimidating. He's <laughs> a big dude, yeah. <laughs> Joel's not Joel, tall, but he's, like, but he's big wide, and strong. Yeah, yeah. He's a wide guy. And when people have no fear, it like kind of shocks you. You know what I mean? Right. And so It's like when a little dog goes at a big horse. Right, right. But does it loud enough, the big horse runs away. Right. So I go there and I must've made a good impression on Joel because we drove back to North Carolina in the mobile home a few days later. I, it's funny, I can still literally remember where I was sitting, what I was looking at. The phone rang, landline back then. My stepdad goes, oh, it's Joel Salatin. I he wants you to know if you want to be his first apprentice and i was like well i was trying i was at that point i was like you're thinking about college yeah i was looking through i had my college you know you get those brochures and all that yeah so i got all the brochures i'm checking and i go well what about college my stepdad goes you can go back to college later you'll never get this opportunity so i went there showed up in april of I don't remember what year it was, but I remember I was 19. I just turned 19. And I get there and (laughs) Joel's first day I get there on the farm, he, and I didn't know that he would, I wasn't like, I'm going to find a mentor. I mean, I kind of, but it, it wasn't, it was somewhat planned, but I can't say it was too well thought out, but I get there the first day and Joel's like, has gauze in his mouth, like bandages. What? And he had been logging, cut a tree down way up on top of the mountain. Oh god. And way out, when the tree fell, there was like a root ball, so it leveraged up the, the uh. part where he had just cut, and it missed his uh-huh. head. We're talking tenth of an inch. It would have knocked oh, he his head been out. No, no. It if it would have hit yeah. under his chin, it would have knocked his head. It was a huge tree. I would have yeah. saw it. He it would have knocked his head. I'd say like a golf ball about two hundred feet. But it missed it threw his glasses off and knocked his two front teeth out and knocked him out and when he woke up he like still had a concussion his wife told me that because this happened the day before i got there yeah she said she sees a truck driving through the pastures but driving through the fences and he's just like concussed you know Uh. and pulls up because joel's still missing his two front. he just has like fake two front teeth yeah and that was my introduction. And that's <laughs> that why I learned you got to learn to pay attention. Right. Basically, what's the know, first thing he had you do? Uh he goes, "All right, we got like two thousand laying chickens. They laying eggs. You got to wake up. We wake up around. Uh, I think I woke up around five in the morning. He goes, five in the morning. You go out there. You got to carry buckets of water to all the chicken pens. So there was, huh. there was I think thirty chicken pens." Each one need a five gallon bucket um, or more. Maybe we had, t- yeah. So 30 chicken, uh, a gallon of water is eight pounds. So it's 40 pounds of water. Wow. Times two. Let's say with a bucket, it's about a hundred pounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had to do 15 trips. So almost the 1500 pounds of water. Oh my God. And then at night, Another 15. So it's 3,000. I was carrying a ton and a half by hand. It's funny. When I came back 19 months later, my whole body changed. Yeah. My shoulders were... You were bigger. Oh, you were... I used to have... My forearms are big now, but dude, I used to have like... People were like, what the hell? Yeah. Because on a farm, you don't get fake muscles like the muscles that you don't really need big but look good are like biceps and chest yeah yeah yeah. you don't you rarely do a pushing motion but you or, or a curl but you do a lot of lifting and shoulder yeah. we well, so can tell real, for sure like in the back their backs are bigger yeah you get big back and you get yeah. big shoulder. it's like even when i box i always hit harder than people think and that's still from farm days man yeah you get a big strong back and anyway so i was there and you know, you were asking me if I wanted, ever thought of being a farmer. I'm yeah. like, it. The way I look at it, it's like farmer is the wrong word because farmer is kind of a connotation of a dumb person who couldn't do anything else, so they just stay. For me, it's like reconnecting to the land and and nature. And it. A lot of people say that, and they think they go camping once in a while. Or they go meditate at the beach and they think they're reconnecting, but that's not what I mean. First of all, I will tell you, and I really think I read a lot of Native American stuff I was I was actually into Native American stuff before I got to Joel's. I had picked up this book by this guy named Tom Brown, who's a he was trained by an Apache Indian. he was a white guy. Mm. He's also on the cover of Time magazine Tom Brown. Mm. And he was a survival tracker and all this. And I, I started getting into there. So by the time I was into Joel, I was like, not into the food production side. I was into the, like, you know, Native American.
1: Yeah, thing. he does have a spiritual element. Yes, Joel's a Christian, but he's, yeah.
0: he's a different kind of Christian. Um, right. He's very, Joel's an open-minded person. So yeah, that's one thing. But for me, like when people being connected to nature first of all native americans and i 100% agree it's rooted in connecting, they would call them the beasts the animals if you're not connected to animals and in a city like LA i'm not talking about your weird miniature schnauzer not that not that i have anything against little dogs but that's not connecting to nature because what people do it's called anthropomorphism where you treat things that aren't humans like humans so people dress up their dogs in like laker outfit i'm like (laughs) that's not reconnecting to nature (laughs) i mean it's fun whatever (laughs) it's not an evil thing to do but i'm just going if you think that's putting you in touch with animals it's not like native americans would go hunting they would take the buffalo. They would use every part of it. They would pray right, right. and say, thank you, brother, for giving your life for it. It was like, yeah. but, but then they had horses. And they, and they had the, the birds and the yeah. eagles. And, you know and like, the really good people, like, I, later I went in to the Amish, like, David Klein, a guy in Ohio. And this guy, dude, David Klein is, a, is like an Amish Joel Salatin, okay? Okay. He's the most open-minded. We went there. And he's an old order Amish bishop now, I think, which is like, you know, like a preacher. And we were there. My mom came. This was about two weeks ago. I went back to Holmes County after, and I had been after Joel, I went to this David Klein guy, Klein guy. And, dude, he's the most, you talk about somebody you can make a movie about. Now, Amish won't go on camera. That's against their religion, but yeah, or against their ordinance, they call it. Uh, but he was like, I can tell you're a hippie. He's like, I like bluegrass music, which Amish can't even <laughs> listen to bluegrass music. But he said when he was in Vietnam War, he got drafted. But Amish are pacifist. So they let him work in a hospital during the Vietnam War. Huh. They give him like they call him a, whatever. He didn't go to like he didn't go to, if you don't go to Vietnam, yeah. you go to jail. Yeah, but yeah. But they yeah. gave him a conscientious objector Amish or very devout pacifists that right. will not fight. If you, Amish don't, you notice down at the Amish farm they, I have, there's no locks on the doors. Yeah. Right? For other yeah. funny things, after I went to, was at Joel's, I went to the Amish. First thing you notice there, you go in a room and it's dark at night, you go to flip on the light, but there's yeah. no light switch. Yeah. <laughs> they don't that's have right. light switches. That's You're right. like, what, what, what? Yeah. You gotta find a, uh, uh, you you know, candle. Well, they, they like use, a, they use these oil gas
1: lamps. That's right, yeah, um, gas lamps. I noticed that over at the church yep. uh,
0: schoolhouse. Those are more modern ones. They used yeah. to use ones you needed a match. Oh, okay. Now they use some ones that are like yeah. propane kind of thing. Yeah. But anyway, so, you know, you have to at some point in life, just check this every once in a while. I'll yeah. Make sure with, uh, you really have to connect into the cycles of animals. So on uh, when you're connected to the land like Joel or Amish, you know, the fall, the calves give birth. The mother, it's like new life comes in. And then I always say life is like these seasons. Spring is new experiments, new things. Yeah. And then you have summer, which is when you work hard and you, re- like, you don't sleep as much and you're just working. But then you can't do that forever. So then you are in the cycle of the fall, which is where you harvest the f- fruits the of your labor that right. you work so hard. Right. And then the winter is a time of rest and contemplation what to do the next spring. And see, I see people in business, I see, especially in the modern world, because people are disconnected from the cycles. Right. They like launch a business, and they're like, I'm not making money. No, no, they're like, I'm not making money yet. And I'm like, wait a sec, you're still in the spring, buddy. Oh, I see. And then you haven't even, you're just plant in the spring you plant little seeds, so you try stuff. Yes. Then summer, they forget the summer, which is the long hours working, and they're like, how come I'm not harvesting? And even before the spring comes the winter. See, the winter is important in your life. The winter is the symbol of things are dying. Right. What you were working doing no longer works and you have to rethink your life. It's almost like being resurrected every year. So now we live with December, January, February. You know, we have artificial markers for our life. Yeah. And Native Americans just look at the moon And it was a natural cycle. When I go to the Amish farm that I have down in down here down south of Joel's, man, I try to not look at my calendar. I try to look and I feel so much happier. Anytime you go, Joel's sounds They're much happier too. Oh oh my God. They're the happiest people I've ever met. Yep. Yeah. This is your first time meeting them and you'll see Yeah. almost all the Amish I've ever met are like that. It's not just this group.
1: Yeah. And Jared Diamond, the
0: UCLA oh professor, God. confirmed that. 500% lower depression yeah. in Amish than mainstream society. And yeah. I'll tell you why. And here's the other thing. So you need to be connected to the cycles. Yep. You need to be connected to animals yep. more than just dogs. Although I love dogs. But more than one species. Um, and then the other thing, and time. you got to be connected in the cycles of time. Not just 9 to 5 job. Mm-hmm. But the other thing, and and then be connected to your food. Like I said, the Native Americans, when they ate their food, it was like they understood where it came from. You ask people now, it's like, okay, where does yogurt come from? Half the kids in the world don't know it comes from a cow. Trust me. Yeah. Trust me, man. Come from multiple cows, even. People don't know eggs are in pancakes. They just eat pancakes. Right. right? People don't get it. So you're disconnected once again. And one thing Joe Salatin told me that I've never forgot, one of the first things he taught me, because he came like a father figure slash mentor, and still I still look at him like that. You know, he's a lot older than me. He said, nature laughs last. And what he meant was when you try to trick nature and live outside of its rules, it gets the last word. You suffer. Nature doesn't bend. Yeah. You have to bend. And so one of the big things that the Amish have the most is that humans are meant to live in community life, not as independent organisms. And the reason people like loneliness, I read some statistics how much loneliness is jacked up because there's a scientist, Robin Dunbar in England, and he's a very famous sociologist. And he found this thing called Dunbar's number, which means humans, are adapted or evolved to living in groups where you knew about 150 people. Mm. Our brains can handle about 150 relationships without feeling overloaded. It's enough, but it's not too small that you feel lonely. And right. so in cities and in modern life, especially with the advent of the nuclear family, which happened, let's say, in the 1950s when people left rural upbringings you had a spike, and increase in these things. That's why I think divorce is up. Mm-hmm. That's why depression's at a whole time. Uh, especially for women. Mm-hmm. The, the depression's gone up for women, which is interesting. I'm not exactly sure why women more than men, but it's very clear in the last 50 years, women's depression. Men's is, are a little less happy. I think men are more oblivious. But yeah. They're not sensitive. <laughs> they're like, ah, I have a football game on. I'm good. Whereas women are more like in tune with that something's wrong. Alright, and so you have to be in a community of like minded people and you don't have to be Amish, but that's why I say you have to create your own bubble.
1: Yeah. You uh, I think you talked about it once, uh, you know, think like having a president's cabinet, you know. Yes. Start in business, with a, exactly. a start with a, you know, fifteen generals and then yep. you know, work from there.
0: Yeah. Have different the make war with a multitude of right. counselors right? Yeah. You have that. And you know, there's things I've read an interesting article of the scientific, I forget who did this science, but, um, for example, you're happier. And this is all happening at a subconscious level, by the way, you don't actually go, oh, I feel happier, but we're programmed for example. And this is why Joel raises chickens out on pasture because they're programmed to be scratching around. So if you put them on a concrete surface, like factory farms, their brain subconsciously computes something wrong. Their stress levels go up, their health goes down, and you get less high quality food. Oh, yeah. With humans, yeah. okay, when you take them out of the natural cycle, you don't compute, oh, I'm looking at my watch too much. Oh, I'm looking at the blue light, which is keeping me awake. Oh, I'm living by a calendar and can't oh my I can thank God for Friday, you know, T G I yeah. And, and I so see. but yeah. what happens is subconsciously you're becoming unhappy. And people's cortisol levels go up without you even realizing it. So the key to life is trying to, you can never get back to the land completely in the modern world. And you don't even need to. You still wanna use, if you break your arm, you wanna go to the hospital. You know, you don't wanna be using (laughs) <laughs> Seventeen hundred comfrey palm, uh, poultice, some, right. some herbs from the field. Yeah, yeah. I mean you can use that for minor stuff, but yeah, you know there's a time when you're going to want antibiotics if you have right, you have meningitis or something. Yeah, yeah, penicillin saved a lot of lives and things. But in general, as much as you can, you line yourself up with the natural cycles, you surround yourself with animals. This is what I was saying. The science a long time ago is if you don't see different generations every day, you're less happy. So you notice there back mm. at Joel's farm when we were eating yeah. at dinner, they had like the little kids. kids there Yeah. and it brings up, I was watching All everybody it's a little yeah. kid that was like a one-year-old girl, cute little baby, you know, yeah. everybody who walks by smiles automatically. Yeah. When you see a little baby, yep. you smile, you go to Los Angeles. There's not a, I mean, I live in Beverly Hills. There isn't a baby that I see ever, oh, baby, yeah. you know, you can go whole day. Yeah. And oh,
1: you can walk down Rodeo Drive. You can oh, just see nothing. like
0: just it's and, and you you know, it in it's all the eyes. same generation. Yeah. yeah, so that's the other thing. You should see older people. Yeah, like you know Joel's grandma lives on the farm. She's ninety-four. It also is nice to see an old lady. Yeah, and you can ask right him. next to him. Yeah, and here yeah. on the Amish farm, I have a young guy working for me, uh, Amish guy, but I also have a. a Older guy, and guess what? He knows all kinds of little tricks. He showed me a knot, yeah, that he learned from his grandfather. On that, jo- was it Joseph? Yeah, yeah, it never tightens. Yeah, so you tie the horses with it if you have yeah. to untie it, no matter how much the horse pulled, it never tightens. I right. think it's a bowline or one of those.
1: Well, that guy, I'm, I'm I was really impressed with him more so than David. David was, you know, David's this gigantic Amish guy, it's funny. But well, David's Joseph- younger;
0: he doesn't have all the tricks up
1: his sleeve. Yeah, but Joseph just yeah. really impressed me. Yeah, he had all those tricks, and, and he's like seventy-two. Like, yeah, and he was yeah. like
0: working like a twenty-one-year-old. Yeah, you know. But and he had the, so much energy because you know? he's connected to the land. He lives right. in. A, I mean, he's connected to the cycles of life. Right. He's, you know, he has ten kids. By the way, Not, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so yeah. And how
1: many grandkids?
0: He's saying? So I don't know. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. they'll have more than they can remember. Yeah. 80. 100. (laughs) Yeah. He probably has great grandkids. Yeah. I would say he's coming up on. But you just see it on his face. He's, and here's the last thing I would say. There's so much you can talk about this, but one of the last things is, and people really forget this one, and people misuse this term. So I hate to use it being in the moment. But. It is nothing like what most people think being in the moment is. I've seen, Eckhart Tolle wrote the book Power of Now. Oprah Winfrey really got behind it. I've mm-hmm. read some of those books. And New Earth. Yeah, think, I think, it was yeah, the I one. think yeah. they are on the right track, right? But the think of it this way. The destination I agree with, the road they think to get there, I don't think I agree. I don't think most people can do it. It's like that book describes, Like it's almost like you go internally, you meditate. You see a lot of people doing yoga and meditating. I'll tell you this right now, because I've done more personality tests than almost any human in history. I did 300,000 already this year. I've taken my quiz. It's not my quiz, I compiled it for different quizzes. And here's right. the thing. People who do yoga get the most psychological ailments of any human, I mean any type of people. So whatever the heck they're doing, I don't think it's working that well. Hmm. It's like masking it. I'll tell you what fixes mental problems in my experience. Yeah, not as a, I'm not a psychologist. Some of it's genetic, and some of it's hormonal, and some of it's diet, and some of it's the fact that people yeah, don't a lot exercise. Of variables. Sure, but I promise you, not being connected into the natural cycles that we evolved to being uh, part of is the biggest problem and i've confirmed this with scientists like dr david buss you know he taught at harvard yeah and he's, what did he say he calls it evolutionary mismatch and he said most of the problems in the modern world just take a simple one obesity and being overweight 60 to 70 percent of americans are obese and overweight why it's very simple if you consume too many calories and you don't move around a lot yeah okay yeah, you're you have excess that is stored as fat. It's like that is how all animals work by the way. You can make your dog fat, your cat fat, you can make a cat fat, uh a cow fat, yeah, a horse. You just feed it and don't let it move around. Yeah. And if it's if it burns three thousand calories a day, feed it four thousand. And so what happens is we've created food systems. There's a good book on this called Uh, salt sugar and fat i don't know if you read this book it's wild because it talks about how the food companies now purposely trick your taste buds for example by putting so much salt and sugar that you keep eating you know how they say like you can't just eat one what is it pringles or oreos or something yeah yeah because they engineer it like diabolically they're like mad scientists like how can people eat way too many oreos Yeah, or so, McDonald's too. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then you have, ten percent of kids. Yeah, pre are you know ten percent of kids under five years old now are overweight or obese. And it's rising too, dude. It used yeah. to be zero. Yeah, you ask somebody who's 50, 60, 70 years old, who was obese in their elementary school, they'd be like, "What are?" It was one hundred percent. I mean, there's always kids who are stockier. That is a brand new phenomenon. And that's what Dr. Buss calls evolutionary mismatch. One thing we also really like is the app CastBox for listening to podcasts. It's the highest rated and fastest growing podcast app for both iOS and Androids. And they pioneered a brand new way to search. All you have to do is enter a keyword or phrase and CastBox, you know, it shows all the show titles and transcripts of every single episode so it delivers exactly what you're looking for. So, check out and download CastBox and give it a try. It's like Jurassic Park. Well, the, the irony of talking about returning to nature, well, I got a new truck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is not really natural. But, that you know, for example, how much did you walk since you've been on this farm? Oh, one day
1: alone, I did uh, 25,000 steps, which was equivalent to 11.3 11. Miles. miles. Yeah, and here's the thing. One day. And the day before, I mean, I'm just kind of basing it off Ar- Armin, but Armin, um, i had just flown in from LA. I
0: only did like one mile. Yeah. One and a half so you 11 exit. Yeah. And here's the thing. Humans, there's a great book on this called The Story of the Human Body. It's by this Lieberman Harvard paleoanthropologist and he says he studied this human skeleton and you can use things so you can tell just in humans for example and gorillas by the way our hips are turned by the way our knees are pointed um, gorillas for example are not meant to walk upright super long periods of time so like gorillas you know eventually go down on their four Fours, right? yeah And so it would be a mismatch for, to take a gorilla and make them walk, you know? Um, So he studied the human skeleton and it's very clear, humans are designed to walk four to 10 miles a day, even sometimes, you know, 20, 30 miles. And that's how our ancestors walked, that we inherited their body. We're still basically the same body that your aunt, your great grandparents had ten thousand years ago. Yeah, and nothing changed that much in ten thousand years. So the problem is with people not being connected to the land and nature and cycles. You don't have a community. You don't have good food. You're watching a clock, nine to five. You're sitting all the time. You're not having to walk anywhere, right? Also, not as much purpose when you are connected to the nature, especially when you take care of animals and take care of plants. Yeah, you you have a purpose. feel that people can teach their kids. Like, when I see people in the city, uh, versus like Amish kids who are like way happier, yeah. But the Amish give their kids, I remember Sam Chupp David, who now David Chupp I don't know if you met him. He's older. It's like, he was one of the ones that helped you catch the cows that you guys Oh, lost yeah, for. yeah, yeah. I remember David. The yeah. real nice one. He, yeah, he was okay.
1: on, He one of his help. He actually captured him. Yeah. Uh, it, and he uh, was like,
0: jump on the tree if it attacks you. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah the uh, cow almost charged him. Yeah. Yeah. So David,
0: I, when I was here, he was a little boy. And I remember one day his dad at the dinner table, at the breakfast table, was just like, I'm very... I want you to know something, David. You really hurt the cow today because you forgot to milk it. When you don't milk it, it literally causes pain for the cow. And he's like, you just, you know, I'm disappointed that you're just thinking about yourself and you're not taking care of this animal that you were entrusted with and you really caused a lot of pain. And I saw David's face, like he was like sad. So when he gives chores, and he's connected to the land, it has meaning to the kid. Right. When you try to impose weird things like, okay, sweep the floor, you know, like, it's like chores. Yes, it's important you clean the house, but it's not, you don't feel like a, per- you can't say There's to them, no oh. no purpose, no sense yeah. of purpose to it. Oh, the floor is really in pain because it wasn't swept. No. Right. So being in touch with animals teaches kids You could call responsibility, a more scientific word is something called conscientiousness, which is a combination. And by the way, for those people listening that wanna become more successful, if you ask a scientist who studies uh, workplace psychology and they study why some people make more money than others, why some people are better leaders, why some people advance and get promoted more, it boils down to this one conglomeration of personality factors called conscientiousness which is a combination of organization perfectionism diligence and prudence so if you go through those four when you're connected to the cycles of real life nature which is real everything like air conditioning ain't real
1: yeah. nature's real yeah a hurricane's real
0: yeah. rain is real yeah sun rising and falling and going to bed when the sun goes down and waking up when it, that's real. And uh, what happens with this conscientiousness that we should have all learned because it'll help us be more successful is you can teach it to kids in context. So for example, like I was saying, perfectionism is one thing that sam was teaching his son david he because david had just forgotten to milk the cow he hadn't done it maliciously so david now learned okay
1: there's like a deeper emotional resonance
0: there yeah but also on a real practical level yeah david goes okay every day before i come into breakfast let me double check in my mind with a mental checklist right what was i supposed to do this morning Okay, that's perfectionism, double checking right. your work. Right. And I can't tell you, somebody who hires people, this people have gar- this garbage out there because, in terms of people's work skills, because you get people who just do stuff, don't double check their work, and it causes catastrophe. And I'm like, an extra 30 seconds of double checking your work. There's a reason airplane pilots don't just jump on the plane and take off, they have a checklist and they go, all right. Confirm, double check, yeah, that the ailerons go up and down, and that the wheel goes up and down, and that we have power. Dude, nothing's left to randomness. But yeah, so pilots know how to be conscientious, but people growing up now, and then people can't figure out why they're broke. Another thing yeah. is diligence, meaning most things you there's two to three obstacles before you reach your goal. Almost, I don't care if you're trying to lose weight, if you're trying to start a business, you're trying to make money, you're trying to improve your social circle, nothing goes smoothly, they call it Murphy's Law. So diligent people versus non-diligent is they push through the barriers and keep knocking the barriers down until they reach the end goal. And again, when you're connected, kids that are being raised by parents that are connected in the cycle, they see why they need to be diligent. It's not just their parents. Like you see, parents nowadays are like, "You need to do your social studies homework." Well, kids are like, "Why?" Right? They don't want to be diligent, so it's almost like we unlearn and un-deprogram kids to make them less diligent, aka less conscientious. Mm-hmm. And then you have prudence, which is we were talking about Armin falling behind us. Prudence is making good decisions, and so when a kid's growing up, like an Amish kid or Joel Salton's son Daniel, you're like, all right, do we cut the hay today? Because if it rains, it's gonna mess it up. But if we let it, if we don't cut it because we think it's gonna rain, it gets too old and it's not good it's not hay good, anymore. Right. So you learn like little mini practices of making decisions. Versus like Armand, who's following behind me in my other truck right now, who he was following me at like one inch behind my car. And I'm like, what the heck's wrong with you? Don't follow me that close. You're going to crash my two cars, brand new trucks into each other. So then I like tell him to back off and he backs off 100 yards behind me. So he'll lose me following. I'm like, dude, be prudent. Make the." optimal decision. That's a balanced one. Not two feet behind me and not 200 feet. How about, you know, 20 feet? Yeah. Or 30 or 40 or whatever. Yeah. And so you learn now to consciousness and the last one's organization and that Amish Joel Saladson's very organized. Oh, yeah. Every morning when I'd wake up there at Joel's after breakfast, he would take a little Joel's very frugal, so he would take the back of envelopes. He had opened letters because he didn't want to have to buy paper. <laughs> That's how frugal for him, that Joel, Joel is. Um, and he would write out the day's plan. Write it out. And Jim Rohn, the great life coach who actually trained Tony Robbins, you know, the most famous and life he's coach. He's OG. Jim Rohn used to say, plan tomorrow, today yeah and i can't tell you how much stuff and that includes something i call sitting in a chair yep you got to sit in a chair for 10 minutes a day the the most if you're listening the biggest thing that can change your life is sitting in a chair 10 minutes a day with a yellow notepad a pen and just deeply thinking through but not shallow not like i'm depressed or i'm not making enough money or i want to start my own business but like going multiple levels deep like I'm depressed. Why am I depressed? Well, my girlfriend broke up with me. Kind of brainstorming it on this? Yes, but going deep, I call it multi-level, not multi-level like uh, Amway, or Herbalife, but deep thought is what I, I just call it deep thinking session for 10 minutes. You just write out stuff. Sometimes I draw stuff. Joel did that every day. The Amish do that every day. And they do it the day before, which is always the best. If you really want to be productive, plan tomorrow, today, like, Dude, dude little is there like a certain time of day that you do it or is it like first thing in the morning Joel does it yeah. first thing in the morning I do it at the night before yeah I do what I'm gonna do that because that, I'm more of a night person a little bit so I do it like after dinner and it's just like what do I gotta do but the, the key you know one of the greatest philosophers I think it was Descartes one of these said all of mankind's problems would be solved if he would sit alone in a room and think I came up with this 10 minute deep thought session and then I stumbled across this philosopher. I was like, ha ha, I've been validated right. by one of the great thinkers of all time. Like all of mankind's problems. I can't tell you how few people honestly can say for the last 365 days, at least 80% of the days, they've sought, they've planned the day before. No. Some people are naturally conscientious, most aren't. And you have to be trained. And people who grew up in the natural cycles, which could be a farm. doesn't have to be a farm. Native Americans didn't have farms. They were like hunter-gatherers, basically. Um, And there's people. I think there's other people. I just think returning to the land and growing your own food, you don't need to have, I mean, I have pretty big farms, but you don't need to have 300 acres or 400 acres. You can do this on, you know, what you got. Lot of people have a little suburban lawn in your backyard i'm like plow it up yeah yeah. get a rototiller but at least especially people with kids i'm like give them something to do be like we gotta grow our own tomatoes if you don't know how to do it youtube it by joel's halton has books lots of books on amazon and just like go through right and just get your fingers in nature <laughs> and then you it's funny when i'm going back to when i went to joel's I remember because I grew up, I was born in a city, big city, one of the biggest in the world, Los Angeles. And I remember being like, wow, this is like, there's something more powerful going on than just like a farm. That yeah. was nothing. I was like, so Dude. when you
1: came back, I'm curious, what was, uh, did you feel uh, right after the 18 months and Joel? What was your initial feeling?
0: I think I was a weeks. culture shock, man, because yeah. I came back. I didn't take a vacation. I didn't go on a date with a girl. Oh wow! I didn't see a movie. I yeah. was like, I saw your months. place too. It was you really saw that? It
1: was like a studio. It was Twelve man. by was no, like, smaller.
0: Twelve by twenty.
1: It, oh wow! It had
0: running water, but it had yeah, no that, toilet. Yeah. it
1: had a bucket. The buck. There was a bucket, and then yep. there was like a a hole in the floor. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I the really sink like, was outside, and yep. yeah, you're in there for eight. No, months. and it was cold, dude, in the winter in General wow Valley. I remember I stuffed the sleep in a sleeping bag in bed. That's how you know uh, it's cold. Oh my God. I, I actually got so cold that I had to go. And I, in the middle of winter, I crawled underneath it and insulated it and almost froze to death. Dude, my, my glass of water that I slept with would be a solid ice. <laughs> Dude, I'm gonna tell you this, if you wanna know what cold is, wake up when your room is twenty-five degrees. Oh man. <laughs> you oh, I would put two uh, sleeping bags, put it up my eyeballs, and <laughs> just my nose <laughs> and have two hats on. You know, I used to get so cold. I because one thing is people are like, Oh, I live in Minnesota, I can handle the cold. I'm like, hell no, you ain't out working in it. I used to go work in it 14 hours a day. I used to the secret I finally discovered is <laughs> wear 18 t-shirts i did one time 18 t-shirts it's like a wetsuit it traps the air you're never cold at least at your core yeah if you wear 18 t-shirts maybe if you're an arctic but i would just wear so many you look a little bit like a like a michelin man yeah yeah but you ain't cold what'd you do for boots were there waterproof
1: boots back in those days yeah Did you guys have water yeah.
0: i ain't that old man oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, you but your feet are always cold <laughs> and your fingertips right. and your face gets cold when it's yeah. cold enough but yeah <laughs> but even then i was happier for sure than any time in my life and then when i came back i farmed a North Carolina for a year. I, I didn't even say farm, but I grew my own food and sold food and got into food production. And then, though, my life, my mom's getting divorced second time, my head was like in a tail sprint. That's when I actually had the only time in my life I've ever really had like what I think was like depression and sear. I started, dude, there was a point in my life I felt like I was hearing voices. It was so much stress. My mom and dad was a bad breakup. Yeah. yeah, it was it was rough. Yeah, and that was my second one. You know, my mom was divorced when I was a little little kid. My first memories as a human are my mom and dad yelling and my mom crying and like them getting divorced. I was like I was like one and a half, wow. and this happened again. I'm like nineteen twenty by this time. Yeah. So, I was just like going crazy, and I remember. <laughs> that, uh, check that real fast. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. I remember (laughs) I'm, somebody gave me the, so at Joel's farm, the Amish would come visit because Amish like to learn new farm techniques from anybody, they don't care if they're Amish or not because Joel's not Amish. So I'm there and I met this Amish guy named Daniel Stolzfus who lived in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We're kind of friends, and I read this book. I see a book somewhere called Amish Society. I think I Googled it. Amish Society. I think I didn't Google it. Anyway, by Hochsteller. I order it. Maybe I saw it at a bookstore. I read it, and I was so fascinated, and I was like, wait a second. These guys are like Joel, but in addition, they have like a huge, big community because Joel was had some had made somewhat of his own community, but it's hard in the modern world because everybody has a different worldview. Right. Whereas the Amish are grow up with a more similar, so it's easier to have a community when you share the same values yeah. and worldview. And so I was like, I gotta find. So I wrote a letter to this guy Daniel Stolzfus. I'm like, can I come? I remember writing You remember writing letters, man? Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Remember People that? ain't never written a letter now. I used to write
1: my grandma all the time. Yeah? Uh, yeah, whenever I was, uh, you know, like in Japan or the Philippines, Europe. So Before email, before Facebook, all that, I had to write her uh, handwritten letters. Yep. Had to be at least 10 pages. Yep. Yeah, those are the days.
0: But <laughs> 10
1: pages? Yeah, yeah. She, she would make me write more and more and more, and that's, like, one of the reasons why I liked... <laughs> I became good at <laughs> writing. Yeah. yeah like I became good at it. From grandma. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I loved it. It got to a point where, you know, I could wait. You know, I'd write more than 10 pages sometimes. Yeah. But anyway, I, I'm, so you're writing
0: this letter. Uh, how, so, how did he respond? He responded. He's like, come on up. So I took a bus. I didn't have much money. I had done a business with Joel and, my cut was like $12,000, which I thought was an incredible amount of money. My first business, when I was there the second year, we did a, rented a farm and did grass-fed beef. And he wrote me a check for like twelve grand, and I remember being like, wow, never seen this much money. <laughs> and so I went home, I had a little money, but I, I invested it into that, that food production that I did in North Carolina. I didn't have much money left. So I took a Greyhound bus with the most psychopath people. I remember. Oh, yeah. It's funny. I can still remember getting. How all much them, were those buses, dude? It's like you—you you know still it's like, bad. It's cheap. You could go across America for like eighty bucks. Oh, dude. less than that, dude. No,
1: dude, I talked to someone oh, recently God. who did like thirty-five bucks from LA, LA to Ohio.
0: <laughs> you don't want to do get on that? anything that's it's subsidized by the government, oh, and it's God. the craziest people ever. Yeah. So I take a bus, <laughs> and I remember it went through New York City for some reason. I go from Raleigh. I remember. I it's funny. I can almost remember it's like yesterday. I sit in my chair, with an old black dude sleeping, right, and he sn- starts snoring when we take off. It was a night Greyhound, and when I say snore, this guy went like, like oh, I remember Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah, Hoo, yeah. I'm like the whole bus turned what? up, but I'm sitting there. It was crazy snore, <laughs> and. I don't know what was wrong with this guy. And I i him so up the whole time. I get to New York City. People are crazy. We switch buses. And I remember the dude at the front put... You know like when you're a little kid, somebody goes across your line, they put like tape down? Yeah, yeah. I sit towards the front. Somebody told me, okay, Todd, you want less crazy people? Sit right behind the bus driver. So I sit right behind the bus driver. And the dude puts tape on the floor, and it's like, this is my side. What? It was like an insane homeless guy. And so I'm like, oh, okay. But he put the tape unfair. Like, he was like boxing me over. So he put it on the floor because he had a bag in front. I don't know. It was probably a human head in there. He's probably a what? psycho killer. And I remember being like, I can't sleep with this dude oh my God. sitting next to me. So I stayed awake. We went to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I think it was early in the morning. How many hours? Yeah. <laughs> for eight hours from Raleigh. It oh, stop so much to New York City. Oh yeah. Then That's they make right. you wait all night. I got there in like two in the morning. You oh. wait until like the six AM bus. And I'd go out from New York and you go, I think you go whatever. I had to change one more time. Finally we go out on this thing. It's called in an area called Bird in Hand. Right on the highway this Amish guy's house set back about a hundred like a football field back a hundred yards hundred yeah. meters so I get out of that bus and it's just like being around crazy people and I walk down the road the, the lane and I, I don't see lights on in the house it was actually in the day I didn't see anyone in the house so I just there was a barn right behind it. I just keep walking and there I hear Daniel talking to his he had two boys and I come around the corner, and it was like I instantly went back in a time capsule, yeah. on a time machine, okay. 100 years. They're both, they're all three barefoot. They're <laughs> shoveling. They're up on a wagon with two horses. They actually had mules pulling the wagon, and they're shoveling off apple pomace, which is basically when you make apple juice. A byproduct is like the pulp, kind of. Hmm. And their neighbor had an apple orchard, so they would take that and they would feed it to their cows. It was like free feed. So I'm like, they're shoveling. I'm like, can I come up help? I jump up on the wagon. Well, what I didn't know is the reason that they were barefoot It's because this apple pumice becomes so slippery oh. that you gotta like grip the wagon with your toes, kind of. So I come on there with <laughs> boots. And I go to do one shovel is this your first day, first minute there. First minute, I shovel and flip <laughs> off the back. I flip like off the wagon, and Amish will never laugh at you. It's like three people just staring down, like, oh. Are you okay? I'm like, I didn't hurt anyone with my pride. So I get back, I take my shoes off, help them for the day. He milk cows, go inside, and he was like an eccentric Amish because normal Lancaster Amish, which is the most famous Amish community. They're very close because they live kind of close to non-Amish, so they have to protect themselves. So it's very rare for people to go live in Lancaster who aren't Amish. But this guy was kind of eccentric. He followed Joel and He did rotational grazing. He was kind of considered a little strange. But he was Amish. And his family <laughs> had been there for 150 years or whatever. He was an so, unconvin- unconventional. Yes, he was like a Joel Salatin Amish guy. Yeah. <laughs> and so I go and I... Uh, that night, we're done working. I go in. I remember his wife. She was super nice. We cooked. We ate. He had like six kids I think and then it's time for me to go up to my room I, they let me sleep in the house same house I go up the stairs and that's when I was trying to flip the lights on and I'm like yeah S- S- looking and I'm like lights. wait a sec Ty yeah. right here and, he, and I hear him be like oh yeah here's how you do the lights so I flipped it on went to bed shows you the gas went lamp went to bed about 9 yeah. 9:00 p.m. 8 p.m. whatever what eight, time I did not wake nine. up uh, he got up they were always up before me they get up around 4 30 4 15 yeah so they get up i'd be up helped them and i stayed there for a while but the thing is he they get pressure from their community like who is this guy living with you they're not lancaster's not that open to outsiders mm-hmm. um especially in the house you know Right. If you're not Amish, you're not part of their their Christian. If you're not baptized in their church, it's kind of weird. So eventually. It's kind of a taboo. Yeah, for Sunday, I couldn't go to church with them. I've been to Amish church now, but those Amish, you couldn't go to church. And so he would send me to the Mennonite church. And I stayed there. And he was like, here's some other Amish. He was real. Amish are the nicest people. They're never going to say, get out. But I could just kind of read between the lines. He's like, here's some other communities you should, should probably... I mean, he yeah. was kind of leveled with me. He's like, dude, this is a hard community. I don't know if you are ever fit in in Lancaster. Yeah. So here's some options and blah, 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 blah. And so I went and visited this place. It's called the Big Valley, which is even more... Conver- con- the most conservative Amish. They're called Nebraska White Top Buggy Amish. It's like huh. a very complicated thing to explain. It's like multi-ethnicities in the modern world. It's like, oh, what are you? I'm Hawaiian, black, and you know, Swedish. Oh, wow. So that's like Amish have like yeah. these minor, great. So, like, oh, okay, well, so it's mean, different the, stratifications. Oh, massive, and uh, each one has different, they're German, wow. so they each have different rules. Hey, uh, one thing I want to talk about, a quick little note. I work with Cast Media on all my podcasts. So they do production, management, promotions. So if you have a podcast or think about getting into the space, you should definitely talk to Colin at Cast Media. He was just over at the house not too long ago. So you can get in touch at castmedia.com. That's spelled K-A-S-T media.com. So K, not a C. Tell them Ty sent you. All right, back to the show. (laughs) like Lancaster are allowed like diesel tanks gas tanks or or diesel engines to run their milking machines I went to some Amish they have to milk by hand right so each group they're like local It's it's very much like Native Americans you know Native Americans there was no unified body Sioux Indians were divided into clans yeah and each one made up their own how they dressed and da 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 that's people think the Amish are weird that's how people used to always be You make, it's like, and in a lot of ways, the modern world would be better without one, you know, countries like America, we have these huge, massive central governments, which are so disconnected from the communities that they make dumb decisions. It's better to localize decision-making. And that's what the Amish do. So I went and visited the land. Nebraska Amish. Then, how many communities? Uh, Amish communities? I think I went to talking? 11. Jesus, wow. Just testing. Wow. I would go shorter, like sometimes just a week or whatever. So I went from there. Then, though, I found this guy, David Klein in Holmes County, who was a talk. He is like an even more of a Joel salad than Amish. There's a thread. I almost always found these eccentric yeah, Amish. I have noticed this. Yeah. But, but one thing is, <laughs> that made it a little easier on me i had spent these two years with joel and i and i did we were revel, somewhat pioneering stuff when i was there i was involved in a lot of the stuff that joel does now like i he now has a thousand head of cattle right because he rents and runs other farms i was the one that was my idea and so wow. big part of, so when i went to the amish they're very agricultural I was somewhat of an asset. So it wasn't like a pure, I don't think I'd have been able to do it as a pure city kid. It would have been too, I would have been too different. Yeah, Like I was just different that I wasn't Amish, but I got it even though I fell off. I didn't know how to work horses, but I understood and I would talk to them and give them tips that Joel taught me. And so I kind of, I was like one step backward, but I brought one step forward for him. Yeah. You know? So then I went, this guy, David Klein, who is very unconventional Amish because he writes mainstream books that you can buy on Amazon. Oh, wow. But they're always about nature. They don't have any pictures of him. He's this fascinating guy. And I showed up. And this is where I still think I had some depression and mental stuff going on from the divorce. And... These other communities where they did help me, being at the Amish, I didn't feel like I was completely like home. I was kinda like Daniel's like you could stay with me for a month or two. There was like time limits, you know? Yeah. And I wrote a letter to David Klein and I had met a kid who was Amish in Pennsylvania and he was going to visit David Klein and I said, can I go along? So I came with an Amish kid which opened the door a little bit. I wasn't like a random, Los Angeles kids showing up. I understood some, they, their language is called Pennsylvania Dutch, it's German. I could understand and speak a teeny bit. So I showed up there, David Klein, and he had two daughters and his sons were all gone. They were, I mean, they were grown up. So he had two daughters and himself and his wife, and he had to run this big dairy farm. So he needed help, yeah. So for the yeah. summer, Yeah. and man, I went there over the course, I don't know what mentally happened to me. But over those three months, all that depression, weird white scissors in my gears. head, they've never come back. Yeah. They disappeared, man, because David was into nature. I mean, this guy knows every bird. He knows, ev- I was just there two weeks ago. It's, you have to meet this guy. I'm yeah. telling you. Yeah. There, one person on the planet like this. Joel's like that, where you, Sam Chubb's like that. You haven't yeah. met Sam. Yeah. Oh, meet well, Sam? I met his son. His son no, wait till I, I well, remind me to go visit Sam Chubb tomorrow. Yeah because Sam was the Amish I lived with the longest. So I I went with David Klein for about three months. But again, it was a big, is the biggest Amish settlement in the world called Holmes County. Hard to fit in in these like, they're almost like the metropolis of the Amish. How many? There's probably 80,000 Amish there. It's insane. Most of the county is Amish. Almost wow. every farm is like Amish or oh, Mennonite and right. I, don't, former Amish. Right. Now they so, have signs like for buggies and everything. Oh, dude, wait till and, you like, see Holmes County. This is just yeah. a pretty place. Okay. So I worked there. I learned a lot of stuff from him. Yeah. I got in tune with just like, cycles of life. Yeah. And from there, I was kind of in a visiting mode. I actually went to this one group in Kentucky who are old order mennonites they're similar to amish not much different unless you know the whole story they, for all intents and purposes are Amish, but they're known as the hardest working see amish are basically the hardest working people in the world but then within the amish there's this group that the amish look up to as the hardest working what are they and called they're just they live in one community called scottsville kentucky and it's just so they're kind of revered. They're like the Michael Jordan, the LeBron James of, <laughs> of Amish, Amish work people. Because <laughs> Amish are Germans. They're big on work ethic. My grandma's okay. not Amish, yeah. but she's German. Dude, you'd oh, be, la- workers, you be yeah. la- lazy around my grandma. She, I remember she would be like, go do something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You cannot sit around. Yeah. So very, very
1: punctual, very, you know, yes. like, oh, my God. Yes, conscientious. Yeah, they are, yeah.
0: But the Amish but, are way more than Germans. And yeah. In this group. So I went from David Klein. I go down to this Scottsville, Kentucky. This I remember for a few reasons. One, I get there. I take a bus from Holmes County, Ohio. I go down to Scottsville. It's hilarious. This guy, I'm at the bus station. And I'm going to walk. Or was I going to walk? Or was I going to call a neighbor? of the Scottsville, these people are super conservative. They didn't use phones at all, but the neighbor was gonna go get them. The Amish were gonna drive a buggy like (laughs) six miles and pick me up and six miles back. But while I'm waiting there, I was dressed kinda Amish. This guy randomly goes, hey, you, uh, you around these Amish, you one of these Amish people? And I'm like, no, but I'm visiting. He goes, "Well, I know where they live. I'm driving that way. You want to go?" It's funny. I was just like, "Okay, <laughs> hitchhiker." <laughs> so wow. I jumped in his car, and he was just a fun. He's like, "You know, this is down in Kentucky." He's like, "I don't know much." He still thought I was Amish. He didn't listen to what I said. He's like, "I don't know much about your people, but I know they love ice cream," and that's true. <laughs> oh, the Amish yeah. love ice cream. They have he, goes, sweet tooth, yeah. he goes, "They true. stay completely away from modern society, except." sometimes on saturdays i see their buggies at the local ice cream store they would <laughs> drive it into like dairy queen <laughs> but it also our driving i'll tell oh, you something man, that'd crazy be, that'd be great to see them go through a drive through <laughs> yeah he can't he also told me he's like how do you guys deal with somebody in your community who's a drunk or they're beating their wives or something like that and i was like well you know the bishops or people will talk to him he goes you know many years ago again he didn't know i knew about he thought I was amish yeah so he's like teaching me stuff that he's like many years ago there was a group of people around here my dad was in and you know we were an organization and if people weren't getting along a whole bunch of men would go meet him and you know beat them up and say stop beating up your wife and he started telling me more and I realized he was talking about the Ku Klux Klan. Oh my God. He was like a wizard of the Ku Klux oh, Klan. Oh my God. So talk like about a surreal moment. I'm in a car, oh, truck no. going to the Amish, oh. he thinks I'm Amish. He's telling me these Ku Klux Klan stories, oh. thinking I don't know what it is, <laughs> you know? He, the reason I knew is he said something about black people. Right. Because the Amish are very white, so racist people. Yeah. They might not like the Amish, but they're like blonde hair, blue eyed Germans so yeah. I, he probably said the n-word or something i so wait a second i was like it's all kind of society is this he's like a uh, uh, secret membership <laughs> he's oh, like this man. kentucky dude kentucky yeah uh, like yeah dude, uh, ku klux klan infiltrated oh. more than just the south yeah so i get there to this community he drives me he drops me off at a guy named no these are some of the best times of my life too dude if i could go back Best parts of my life and redo these again. I wouldn't do anything different. I just relive them. And I went to this community. So this is like conservative too. They used hand saws, no chainsaws. They milked by hand, and like I said, they're famous for hard work. So I stay with this old man, the bishop Noah Hoover and his wife. I can't remember her name. She he's dead now. He was about eighty five. Come in. I get there probably, I'm going to guess, like 5 p.m. They're like, all right, time for dinner, for supper. They call dinner lunch dinner. Yeah, that's right. For supper. Yeah. It was like, time for supper. So I'm like, okay. Yeah. They say, it's So I eat there, and they do a little prayer. And it's like 6.45, and he's like, all right, time for bed. Dude, this dude's went to bed at Six 6.45 45? or 7 p.m. What? So, I, oh, my God. Now, was the time, it was like daylight saving, so it was kind of getting dark. So it wasn't so bad. I go up, and the, they gave me a room upstairs or down. I have been downstairs, actually. No, no, it was upstairs, and they were downstairs. The Amish always do the same houses. The mom and dad live downstairs. The kids are upstairs. They always have the main master bedroom. Why five. is that? It's a German, I'm sure it's from Germany. Right? Yeah, yeah. If it doesn't need to change, Amish will keep it identical for 500. Amish are from 500 years ago, by the way. Yeah. Anabaptists started in the 1500s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are not a group of people that change just for change's sake. Yeah. So I go upstairs, go to sleep. I'm like, I wonder if I'll be able to fall asleep, but I was pretty tired. I fell asleep. And I remember, you know how, like, when you go to someone's house, you don't want to oversleep? Yeah. You know, you've had that yeah. feeling when you, you wake you up. Wanna, yeah, you want to... Yeah. You I know, don't know exactly. especially at the Amish, I do But I didn't have clocks. They don't have clocks or anything. Okay? So you can't... There's no alarm clocks because there's no place to plug them in. And I didn't have a battery-powered one. So, so. people just naturally wake up like at yeah. 4, 4.30. So wow. I wake up, but I had a little watch with me. Sometimes the Amish will have like a wind-up watch. Yeah. But I kept it in my pants away from the bed. So I wait, wake up, I hear somebody down there starting the wood stove cooking. So I look at my clock it was like 3.15 in the morning. Okay? So I'm like I'm going back to bed. They said I didn't have to get up that early. You know? So I go back to sleep and then I wake up and my room was right on the bottom floor the window near a road middle through the Amish community and I remember being like (sighs) Oh my gosh! I overslept. They're gonna hate me. Uh, and there's wagons going by, kids playing. It's literally like a city woke up. Yeah, yeah. So I yeah. rush, jump out of bed. I'm like, put my clothes on. I'm like, oh I slept till eight o'clock or whatever. I look at my clock. It was four fifteen in the morning. Oh my god! The whole community was. The eight at four thirty. Yeah. And Amagi fast. Basically, before five o'clock, you were in the fields working. So by noon, you had worked seven hours already, and then you ate lunch. And then they worked till 5 p.m., and then you did chores, and basically you worked. I would say they're working, you know, like 15-hour days. Maybe 16-hour days. But it didn't feel like work. It's not when I say that. Remember, they had their kids with them. They're communicating. It's in harmony with natural cycles. It's not in a cubicle. Staring at blue light, punching numbers. It's like doing meaningful work. And like I said, hit that guy, Noah Hoover, he had a son who was like 30 and already had 10 kids. I remember that. Yeah. Got married young. Most Thomas don't get married super young, but he must've got married and had some twins. Mark Hoover was his name. And I remember it was a jolly time. And once they let me borrow a horse, I've only been thrown, I've been thrown off a horse three times. This was the first, I borrow their, I see this one white horse and while the parents are working, sometimes people think the Amish do child labor, like really mean, they don't. Amish don't make their like little, little kids work. They kind of just let them daydream and wander around. Yeah, When they, they, they there graduate. was a bed.
1: I noticed there was like a small little child bed down at uh, like a twin size, uh, down at the schoolhouse the other day. Like there was a, a, there was a, a guest a, stand there or
0: something.
1: Yeah. No, no, there was like a kid like chilling on there,
0: sleeping. Yeah, kids, they don't work on that. Yeah. I mean, they have like a whole, it's like a whole tradition how you break kids into work and make them like it. Yeah. And anyway, so I'm, I, there was a guy I wanted to visit who lived across the community. And I'd seen this Mark Hoover, the guy I was staying with, Noah Hoover, the granddad had these grandkids riding around three of them the whole time we were working on this white horse with no saddle no reins uh, like and i was like oh uh, that's a that, dead broke horse yeah. easy to ride so i go can i borrow your horse i need to ride across you know five miles away i want to go talk to this person they're like sure so i take the horse they're like you want a saddle you want anything I'm like nah i'm good i kind of knew how to ride by then been around horses by this time, a good bit at the Amish. I jump on that horse, take off. I'm going two, three miles away, galloping around, right in the middle of road. I remember there's Amish on both sides, on two farms, sweeping on the front porch. And two of my accidents with horses have been when I had a hat, because what happens if your hat blows off and you reach up and <gasps> oh. horse, that's why they wear blinders on horses, so yeah. they can't see behind them. So this horse got spooked because I when reached raise for my hand. hat to catch yeah. it. And it took off so fast. It was like it went from gallop you know it was galloping at 15 miles an hour. It went straight to like 25 miles an hour so fast. Yeah. That, and I had no saddle on. I went you and slipped. I only had one <sighs> hand up. I slip holding the neck under the horse. And I'm slowly like I'm holding the neck so like my face is like in the right chin of his. the horse. Yeah. And, and it, right it's going. It, now it's going to be more scared so it's going faster. And I remember going This is going to hurt badly when I let go because my fingers were slipping like in a movie. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to fall right in front of its hooves and it's going to crush me. Yeah. One good thing I found out later is horses don't want to step on you. So right when I let go, I hit the ground. The horse moved its legs to the side and sidestepped me. Okay. Oh, okay. I hit the ground so hard. I was wearing jeans. They popped in half oh. down the leg. Oh. You know the seam right here where they're like yeah. from your like hip down to your ankle? Yeah. Dude the pants exploded yeah. in on the black I was on black top and I remember the neighbors just the homage oh. just like stopped sweeping and just like look at me and I guess they were trying to say like okay I got right back up. The horse turns around. You didn't I break tried, anything did you? No it was insane. No. I just somehow I got lucky and I went to reach for the horse horse goes around me Runs all the way home, leaves. I'm three miles from home with oh. pants exploded. So I just take off the road walking back, and I was it's, like, oh no. And I'm at the Amish with like tattered oh. pants. So I have to walk through all these <laughs> Amish. They didn't even know what they, they thought I was probably crazy already. I yeah. walk all the way back, and, and No Hoover's like, oh, we thought you died because here came the horse back with no <laughs> one on. That's a bad sign. Yeah. So i said can i have a saddle put the saddle on <laughs> it took off changed my pants i'll never forget my pants exploding i was like how fast was i going then my pants exploded like you have to hit the ground yeah, I probably hit yeah. the thing at like 25 or 30 miles an hour man maybe to not quite that pants. pants oh my god and they were like was blue it blue jeans dude. yeah okay denim i mean you, you yeah it was you had scratches on nothing, you it was weird man what? i was like i had a guardian angel yeah seriously So I stayed at that Amish community, and then that guy, I didn't look, Kentucky is hot, man. And I was like, he was like, well, there's one other Amish, there's a, we're Mennonites and there's a group, but we're old order Mennonites that use horse and buggy. And they're like, there's a group in Parisburg, Virginia. Yeah. So I went to Parisburg, Virginia, met Sam Chubb, and right away I was like, this guy's different. And he was the most... Him and David Klein are the most kind of open-minded, charismatic Amish, so... Very progressive. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I ended up... I was there, and a guy goes... uh, So I'm... I visit. I meet this guy named Irvin Miller, just randomly. Gave him my card, or my number. Uh, Not even my number, I think I gave him my address at David Klein's. I go back to David Klein's to work and I get a letter from Urban Miller. It's like, I have to go to a wedding and I have this big produce farm. I have pepper, green peppers and I'm going to, they're all going to go to waste. Is there any way I can pay you or convince you to come watch my farm for a week or two? And I go, okay. So I go back, I go, David, I got this thing, he says, great. And I go there. And then I stayed there for years. <laughs>